Two Columbus neighborhoods are among the lowest in Ohio for life expectancy rates. Franklinton and the Hilltop. NBC4's Tyler Carter takes a look at what the city is doing to improve the quality of life. We've talked about this disturbing paradox before on the show. Ohio has some of the top-ranked healthcare institutions in the world, but it lags in a wide range of really basic health indicators, from life expectancy to infant mortality to instances of coronary heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and on and on and on. Today we're going to talk about one major reason why this is so, namely that the neighborhoods many Ohioans live in are products of historical injustices that make healthy living difficult, if not impossible. This is Prognosis Ohio, WCBE's Health Policy and Politics Report. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. Today's guest is Dr. Jason Reese, an assistant professor of city and regional planning at the Knowlton School of Architecture at The Ohio State University. Before turning to today's guest, though, it's time for our news roundup. First up, I want to highlight a move by West Virginia University President Gordon Gee and former Ohio Governor John Kasich, who are creating a nonprofit that would push for any money from a national opioid settlement to be given to hospitals. Hospitals, especially in rural areas, do important work to fight opioid addiction, and this new nonprofit, which Guy and Kasich called Citizens for Effective Opioid Treatment, could serve as an important force in making sure that hospitals benefit from coming legal settlements. At the same time, past research I've done with colleagues at Ohio University and Nationwide Children's Hospital suggests that hospitals face barriers in adopting critical opioid services. Improving material resources, as Kasich and Gee hope to do, will be an important step, but small, critical access hospitals don't always have the personnel or the expertise to add new services. And stigma remains a perennial challenge to fully addressing needs related to opioid abuse, even within healthcare organizations. In Ohio communities, we should empower hospitals, but we also need to strengthen connections between public health departments, outpatient services, and a wide range of community leaders. Next, Governor Mike DeWine recently announced that Ohio's Department of Medicaid has received federal approval to use Medicaid dollars for its lead abatement program. The hope is that the Ohio Department of Health will be able to fund lead hazard control projects in the homes of Medicaid-eligible children and pregnant women. As we've noted on this show before, we're glad that Governor DeWine continues to make child health a focus of his administration. It's important to remember that while our state continues to expand access to health care services and increase the quality of medical services available to Ohioans, we're also trying to undo systemic injustice in our housing, schools, and municipal services. Last but not least, I want to highlight some work being done to make insulin affordable in the state. While not breaking news exactly, not everyone is aware that since the 1990s, the cost of insulin has increased over 1,200%. Even more distressing is that research has now shown that one in every four patients with type 1 diabetes has had to ration their insulin due to cost. The practice of rationing one's insulin, a life-saving drug, can be fatal. We're hearing more and more stories of patients dying because they're no longer able to afford their insulin, either because they no longer have insurance, their deductible is so high they opt to go without insurance, or heartbreakingly, because after turning 27, they're no longer able to stay on their parents' insurance. On that note, I want to point out that State Representative Beth Liston, herself a physician, has announced that she'll be making insulin affordability her key fall initiative once the legislature resumes its work in September. 
She's asking all Ohioans who have been impacted by the high cost of insulin to get in contact with her office. If you want to write or call Representative Liston, we'll have her contact information in our show notes, along with links to some of the stories of Ohioans dying and struggling due to insulin rationing. Okay, that's it for today's news roundup. It's time now to turn to today's guest. Jason Reese is Assistant Professor of City and Regional Planning at the Knowlton School of Architecture at The Ohio State University. His research and teaching focuses on city planning, housing, community development, and health equity. Reese was formerly the Senior Associate Director and Director of Research for the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity at The Ohio State University, where he established the Institute's Health Equity Program. I spoke with Jason at the WCBE studios about a wide range of topics, mostly centered on how Central Ohio's neighborhoods do or don't facilitate healthy living. Okay, now to our conversation. Dr. Jason Reese, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Maybe we can begin by clearing something up that you know, I think might be interesting to our listeners. You, you're a professor working on issues of equity, health, and other social dynamics, but you're also located at OSU at an architecture school. So yes. yeah. can you talk a little bit about the connection between architecture, city and regional planning, and these, like, what brings you to health issues through that lens? So two uh, aspects of this that I find really interesting. Um, The first is the historical perspective. Public health and architecture and design and planning um, in the late 1900s, you know, had a lot in common. They were both, or all three, uh, were trying to tame some of the chaos of the industrial city at that time. What's been exciting then in the last 15 years or 20 years, really, is to see public health become more of a priority in the world of design and in the world of planning. And I think from the health standpoint, more of a recognition in terms of thinking about the role of the built environment and how the built environment uh, shapes our life experiences. And the built environment being kind of a technical academic term for yes. just how, uh, how we organize our city, Absolutely. Right? How do yeah. we organize the city? How how are we spatially configured? Um, where are the roads? What kind of housing do we live in? How did Route 70 get where it is running exactly. through Ohio? That's one of the big stories of yes, our area. And absolutely. it happens to be right next to a children's hospital. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah why did that big highway just end up right there? Yeah, it didn't just end up right there. Right? Exactly. There's a history. There we can't a, get into it too much, absolutely. but there is a history there. And I say when you when you look at the built environment around you, um, particularly in the in the heart of the city, think of it almost as an archaeological uh, dig. Right. Everything that you see within the built environment, there was a deliberate decision uh, that drove that. Um, some of those decisions were quite good. Some of those decisions were uh, very damaging. Um, But there's a story behind all of our neighborhoods in terms of the way they look and the conditions that they have today. It's funny, you know, that's one of the things I've loved about your research and the work that I've read of yours. After you read your work and look at some of like when you work with maps and some of the, you know, some of that stuff, you can't go to those places again in the same way. It's a different place. It feels yeah. different because you know how it got there. Yeah. And I, I think a little bit about, you know, WOSU for, you know, ran its neighborhood series in Columbus. And it captures some of these things, but it doesn't always capture that kind of deep architectural and, as you kind of put it, uh, archaeological dynamic that created this area. Absolutely. 
We're here in Columbus, and um, you've written about this area. You've also written a lot about Cleveland, especially when you're doing your work with the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity at OSU. You know, we're a, like many American cities, deeply segregated economically, mm-hmm. racially, in many different ways. You know, I think of a little bit about, I live in Grandview, mm-hmm. and I can get on my bike, and I could drive five minutes to Franklinton, and life expectancy yeah. will drop almost 20 years. Absolutely. Yeah. It's staggering. So I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit, you know, some some of the things that listeners might be interested in terms of how health is related to neighborhood design in the city, Absolutely. some of the things that you focus on. So I think when you look at the differences between neighborhoods, um, what you're seeing is a representation of the geography of opportunity throughout our city, where we have neighborhoods often in close proximity to each other um, that are radically different in the context of what the built environment looks like, what the housing conditions look like, the environmental risks that are there, and then the social environments within those spaces. Um, What I think is uh, very important to recognize is that um, none of that is natural. All of that is deliberate and by design. Um, We have used a variety of different policies to uh, shape the city as it has grown. Um, And what you see is that some neighborhoods have been really blessed by a lot of our development policies, while others have um, really been penalized. And you you literally mean blessed. I mean, there were chosen areas and there were areas that were consciously kind of left out of these stories. Absolutely. You know, you think about neighborhoods that uh, have been blessed with and really good infrastructure, um, really great parks, high quality housing, uh, a functioning uh, credit market, right, the housing market within those spaces. Um, they are also the neighborhoods that have had some of their historic assets more likely to be preserved. You know, we had talked about I-70 earlier, and um, it's very fascinating to look at I-70 and realize that I-70 actually turns. Uh, as it leaves downtown, which is a very unusual thing for a highway to do. Um, Well, I-70 turns to avoid Bexley. Mm -hmm. So there was a conscious decision at some point that said, well, Bexley is important and we're going to preserve Bexley, but these Near East Side neighborhoods are not as important to us and we will sacrifice them and we'll actually sacrifice more of them uh, to to protect Bexley in that way. When you say it was preserved, I mean, because folks, presumably people from Bexley who are a more, it's a more empowered sort of part of the city, wealthier, more able to attend meetings, to show up, to wield their power. They had a voice in those. I always drive when I'm driving down there by the highway in Bexley. There's a there's one area where there's just like three houses sitting there, and they got chopped off from yes. the rest. Yep. Yep. And you know, that just shows that those folks didn't have the no, ability to push have back. A voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we see as a representation of power, right? And and power shapes a lot of our uh, decision making in this community. And you know, which communities are empowered to speak up for themselves, uh, which are often ignored. And historically, you know, unfortunately, the norm was to ignore a lot of those places. I think what has been eye-opening in the last decade or two has been a recognition of the role of social and economic stressors within neighborhoods. And from noise and from pollution, yes. from crime. Crime, from yeah. safety, um, from the stress of being in poverty. Um, the psychological toll of seeing your neighborhood decline around you. Um, the toll of feeling othered. And 
you know, when we talk to folks who have been in these environments, you know, the, the accumulation of stress that they're under is just quite damaging to their health and well-being. Um, layered on top of that, we have higher incidence of trauma in some mm-hmm. neighborhoods. And that trauma can range from, um, you know, a relative being incarcerated because this is a neighborhood where there's just intensive incarceration rates to violence in the community. So what's important to think about then is the the role of uh, chronic stress and trauma within these communities. Uh, And um, I think when we look back historically, there is a tie into some of the history we've talked about where communities as a whole have actually been traumatized, right? And that trauma could be um, the fact that they were discriminated against in various ways. Um, It could be the role of big public works projects like the highways that came in and and bulldozed the neighborhood. Or it could be more recent, uh, where we have the same neighborhoods are often then targeted by uh, predatory lenders, right? And uh, as a result, these are the same neighborhoods where we started to see a lot of foreclosures first begin to happen. And that accumulation of trauma within those spaces, I think, has a a definite effect on the uh, people living within those communities. So just last week at orientation for Ohio University's medical school, I gave a presentation where I have to say, and I'll, I'll, I'll thank you, I used lots of maps that I know you were probably <laughs> involved in. That's one of the things, you know, you learn about the Health Policy Institute of Ohio and the Kerwin Institute. Yeah. There are these fabulous organizations that provide um, visuals that faculty all over the state use. I don't yeah. know what we would do without you because well, I can't make hear. a map. So. <laughs> With credit, of course. But, you know, I showed uh, these first year medical students right at the beginning of their training these maps, map after map after map chronic kidney disease, uh, diabetes, uh, coronary heart disease, and they just, they map one for one again and again and again. And students came up to me afterwards and they said, I'm shocked. I had no idea. And they were even embarrassed that they didn't know because they lived in a community and they didn't know that they knew that the community next door might be, you know, for medical students, typically less uh, economically advantaged, but they had no idea that that economic disadvantage meant an 18-year drop in life expectancy. Yeah. So I wonder if you can just tell me, do you think people know this? Are we are we knowing this more? Are people learning about this more and more? Is this something that's being accepted by, you know, stakeholders and leaders in the state? Or is this still relatively unknown to most people that we have this massive health disparity in, in the Columbus area? I think there is some recognition among policymakers, um, but it's limited. I, I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done. And, and I think when we talk about the, the general public, and I, I say this as a, you know, as a teacher as well, I'm teaching students in a school of architecture who don't know Uh, the severity of some of these differences. I think it's really important to think about how we, um, within the context of our city, how socially segregated we are and just the lack of firsthand experience in some of these communities for all of us because these patterns of development that have occurred in our city have really worked to insulate some areas um, from other parts of the city. And, you know, it's very important to think about that connectivity um, so that we can understand what's going on. I hope you're enjoying the conversation with Jason Reese. Before we get back to it, I just wanted to let you know that we're working hard to build this show into a solid and enduring platform for discussing health and healthcare issues here in Ohio. 
I hope we've demonstrated by now that the show is worth listening to, worth sharing, and worth supporting. Just like WCBE itself, we will always strive to have a special focus on developments right here in Central Ohio, bringing as many community and professional voices into the mix. If you're interested in promoting your event, your product, or your organization to our passionate and growing base of listeners, please email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. The Prognosis Ohio underwriting plan is extremely affordable. Unlike many healthcare companies, we're totally transparent, we don't inflate, and we don't price gouge. Your underwriting support will greatly help the show, and we know that our listeners will appreciate knowing that you were an early adopter who made it all possible. Again, email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Thanks. Okay, now back to Jason Reese. I started talking about kind of late 1800s and the uh, emergence of planning and public health during this time period. You know, what really also happened at that time is that we started to have journalists that went into places like the tenements and they started to tell this story yeah. that half the population didn't know about. And I think that's, you know, through scholarship, I, I think that's uh, part of what we need to do to help people better understand things. And also for the sake of uh, empowering folks who are in those places. You know, I, I think people understand that there's something broken within the context of their community. Uh, unfortunately, I've, I've worked in a lot of neighborhoods where people will often internalize that brokenness in a way. Um, and it can be very empowering to better understand kind of the structural conditions that have uh, created challenges within your community. And then you can become part of uh, efforts and solutions to address those things. If you're watching the presidential discussions in the primary, you hear about the national healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And then within the state, you start to learn about the state. And mm -hmm. then you learn that every county is these mm -hmm. really you know, different conditions. But we're looking at neighborhood effects on a very, very detailed level. I'm glad you mentioned, for example, journalists right here. And yeah. you know, we have the Youngstown Vindicator shutting down. Who's yeah. going to watch the neighborhood to neighborhood developments there without a local newspaper? Here we have, you know, Catherine Kandinsky and Sheridan Hendricks and Marty Schladen and these healthcare reporters, people focusing on this beat, and they know the neighborhoods. Yeah. And it seems that that really ties well to the kind of data you as an academic produce because that's how average people find out about them. Absolutely. Yeah, it is quite worrisome to, to lose that uh, level of investigative journalism that we have. And, and as you said, I, I think no one really knows the context of neighborhoods in our communities like those local metro journalists. Yeah. Um, and you know, the sad thing is we need more of them, not fewer of them, which is not the direction the market's moving right now. So that's a little bit of the, I mean, we have to talk about the difficult issues. We have to talk about the challenges and, and the bummers. But there's also exciting stuff going on here yeah. in, in the yeah. city. And, you know, I think about, um, you know, with Governor DeWine um, having made sort of infant mortality and a lot of kids issues. A lot of, There's a lot of hope actually out there right yeah, now. Absolutely. Um, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about uh, some things that you see going on around in this area around the state yeah. that maps onto, no pun intended, some of the work <laughs> you've done uh, and, 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 and is addressing some of those issues and maybe yeah. even making some progress. Yeah. Um, so I think in the context of Columbus, it is exciting to think about 
the way we're approaching neighborhood redevelopment in, in this city. Um, you know, we have multiple neighborhoods now that are uh, seeing a resurgence, and, and several of those neighborhoods are doing that with a, a very deliberate eye towards equity, um, towards uh, social justice concerns for folks who live in those communities, and really in a way that's um, more attentive to assuring that we're lifting people up in those places. Where are some of these places? Yeah, so um, I would look at the, the Near East side, where we're close to today, where, you know, there's still a lot of debate and there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, discussions about the future of that community. Um, but you have seen some attentiveness to make sure that that community stays a mixed income community um, that kind of returns to its former glory in terms of not only its economic success and social vibrancy, but also the diversity um, that was always within that neighborhood. Um, the Southside neighborhood where Children's Hospital has been very active and, and helping support affordable housing issues in that community and a place where I think we have one of the best opportunities to see uh, a neighborhood redevelop without wholesale gentrification occurring within that space. Um, so, you know, these fledgling efforts are actually really important, not just for the sake of those communities, but as a proof of concept uh, to demonstrate that we can improve places without economically turning them upside down on their heads. So finally, I just want to see if I can get you to talk a little bit about uh, this housing demonstration project that you're working on in Franklin County. I know you've been at it for a while and will be at it for a while. So what is the project and uh, what what have you learned about health in our area that's worth um, sharing with our listeners, even though I know it's still kind of preliminary data? Um, So I'm involved with a project uh, called Move to Prosper. Um, And Move to Prosper is a project that provides housing support and relocation assistance uh, for families who are looking to relocate into stable, healthy housing in strong neighborhoods. I'm evaluating the the pilot version of this project, so we're tracking 10 families over the course of three years. um, All in this area? All, yeah, all in this area who have um, relocated and really just finding out how the relocation has affected their, their life. That's been really exciting to me to see the power of uh, relationship building when it comes to um, really being um, almost a, a medicine, right, to an overstressed, overtaxed life. We found that over half our families immediately reported um, health improvements, and we, we dug into this, and we thought, well, there might be a family or two that maybe um, maybe they were in you know dilapidated housing or something mm-hmm. along those lines where they could see some immediate health impacts, uh, but actually it was half of our families, uh, particularly with kids who were uh, living in homes with uh, pretty extensive mold pest issues, mm-hmm. um, they were now in healthy apartments. And it was immediate turnaround in terms of their ability to be at school. You know, moms are saying things to us like, you know, I was getting a call every single week hmm. because of their asthma issues in school. And that's, and, that's gone now. Yeah, yeah. This one move just made that profound difference. Um, but what's really exciting is the, uh, what I would say is the mental health benefits. Um, you know, all of our moms, for the most part, have reported how beneficial it's been to be in a safer neighborhood. In addition to that, though, they've, they've a lot of the interviews that we've done, there's been quite a bit of reflection upon how they think differently now, 
right? They're no longer under this intensive burden of chronic stress and worry. And they say things like, I can plan for the future again. Yeah, and that, that I, probably makes you do all sorts of stuff in a more healthful way when yeah. you're just thinking that way. Yeah, right? it completely changes yeah. your worldview, right? Yeah. You, you go from crisis mode from day to day uh, to being in a situation where um, you, you're now actually planning financially, you're planning for your health, you're planning more for your kids. So again, it's something that should be quite intuitive to us. We put people in good neighborhoods with good housing. Most likely they're going to thrive. Yeah. Um, but still, even for myself, who's uh, you know, pretty familiar with this work, it is eye-opening sometimes to see how dramatic the improvements in quality of life can be. What I really love about the work you do is you take these simple intuitive things and you put some data behind it, you put some yeah. evidence behind yeah. it, which is what we need on the policy side to be yeah. able to say, hey, you know, this isn't just us making this stuff up. We yeah. actually can demonstrate this, which hopefully is the persuasive key that we need with uh, legislators uh, and, uh, and other stakeholders, investors, yeah. things like that. Absolutely. So. Um, that's a key thing for us is to, um, the next step of this is to document the, um, the overarching benefits to this from a societal perspective, right? How many ER visits can we avoid for these families right. that are all on Medicaid? Um, kids are now, uh, kids who were disengaged at school or who are now on the honor roll. Um, you know, what are, what are the long-term benefits of that? Great. Well, thanks so much for sharing some of the research you're doing, some of the thinking you're doing. Thanks for the work you do in the city. It's important work. And like I said, I don't know how I would possibly be an academic giving lots of presentations without the work you've done. Oh, so it's, <laughs> it's being used. It's, it's, it's making a difference. And I'm glad we were able to share a little bit uh, of it with listeners today. Thank you, Dan. Thanks. Thanks so much to Jason Reese for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk with us. Thanks also to his daughter, Fiona, for making the recording session more fun than it would have otherwise been. It's always great to have kids around the WCBE studios. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner, Kyle Rosenberger, and Mark Franz. Jory Gomes assists with background research and copy. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio through WCBE's webpage, where, by the way, you can find show notes for this episode. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and really, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you'd leave a positive review so we can continue to grow the show. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at prognosisohio and email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Your suggestions and feedback are most welcome. Thanks, and until next time.